This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, I guess a lot of people in Newfoundland and Labrador today sighing a... uh big sigh of relief that uh, and I know a lot of people had some pretty messy dirty weather and a fair bit of accumulations in some areas particularly in through central Newfoundland on the west coast but uh nothing like those pictures out of Nova Scotia. Oh my goodness gracious. They got their own snowmageddon going on. Oh, they do. And I, I saw one description that uh, in certain places it's as tall as a refrigerator. I think it was over a hundred and something centimeters of uh, snow. Out. Well, heaven knows we've seen our fair share of uh, incidents where, you know, you open the door and it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big wall. I see. Uh, <laughs> what do we do now? Yeah. I left the shovel somewhere on the out outside there. Yeah. Not inside. Um, yeah, so you got to go with your hands, <laughs> like a little, <laughs> like a little puppy dog or something, digging through the snow. But uh, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm, you know, spare a thought for your friends in Nova Scotia, friends and family in Nova Scotia, and we'll give you a little update on uh, how that's affecting things here. But to the big news of the day, uh, right across Canada, the London Police Service today offered an apology to the victim at the center of a sexual assault case allegedly involving five members of the. 2018 Canada World Junior Hockey Team. And those five members have been formally charged now. Here's what Chief Tai Trung had to say just a few minutes ago. I'm here today to share with you the results of an investigative review ordered in July of 2022 by now retired Chief Steve Williams into a 2018 sexual assault investigation. I will refer to the individual at the center of this case as the victim in accordance with her wishes rather than using terms such as complainant or survivor. This case stems from an incident on the evening of June 18, 2018 in downtown London involving players of the Canadian junior hockey team who were in the city to attend a Hockey Canada event. After the event, the accused and several teammates met the victim at a downtown bar and later invited her to a hotel room where the sexual assault by the individuals now charged took place. The initial investigation conducted in June, conducted from June 2018 to February 2019, concluded without charges as it was determined by investigators at that time that there were insufficient grounds to lay a charge. This decision led to the case being closed. A comprehensive review was initiated over three years later on July 20th, 2022. This review involved re-examining initial investigative steps, gathering additional evidence and obtaining new information. As a result, we have found sufficient grounds to charge five adult males with sexual assault. Those charged are as follows. Michael McLeod, age 26 of Mississauga, Ontario, two counts of sexual assault. Alexander Formington, age 24 of Barrie, Ontario, 
one count of sexual assault. Carter Hart, age 25, of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, one count of sexual assault. Callan Foote, age 25, of Denver, Colorado, one count of sexual assault. Dylan Dubay, age 25, of Calgary, Alberta, one count of sexual assault. These individuals have surrendered to the London Police Service and were released on undertakings with their first court appearance occurring this morning. This investigation has been a lengthy and complex process. I want to recognize and acknowledge the victim for her courage and her incredible strength throughout. I know there are questions regarding the initial investigation and the findings of the 2022 review. It is important to understand that as the Chief of Police, while I am committed to transparency and accountability, I must also ensure that I do not compromise the ongoing legal process. There is a place and there is a time for me to provide those answers, and that time is not now. Therefore, I cannot discuss details that are now part of the case before the courts. I assure you that I will provide more information once these legal proceedings allow. The presumption of innocence until proven guilty is a cornerstone of our justice system, and it applies to the five accused. But right now, our organization is focused on supporting the victim and upholding the integrity of the criminal trial process. Today's charges are a critical, critical step as we move forward. As Chief of the London Police Service, I assure you of our commitment to investigating all allegations of sexual violence with a trauma-informed and victim-centered approach. I have full confidence in our sexual assault and child abuse sec section, led by Detective Sergeant Catherine Dan, who will provide more details shortly. But before I introduce Detective Sergeant Dan, I want to extend on behalf of the London Police Service, my sincerest apology to the victim, to her family, for the amount of time that it has taken to reach this point. As a police officer working in this space for many, many years, I can tell you that this is a difficult, difficult situation for all victims and survivors of sexual violence. So that's some of what uh, Chief Tai Trung had to say just a short while ago. He's the chief of the London Police Service in Ontario and outlining uh, how they got to this particular point, reopening that investigation uh, that was first launched in 2018 and 2019, which concluded without charges due to insufficient grounds for a charge. A comprehensive review of that investigation was launched in July of 2022 
with additional evidence coming forward uh, is significant enough for them to lay charges against Michael McLeod, uh, Alexander Formenton, Carter Hart, um, Calfoot, and Dylan Dubé. So uh, it's a situation and a case that has uh, really grabbed the attention of Canadians um, all across the country. And uh, we'll be watching it uh, in the next little while to see uh, what comes out of that, including uh, the questions about why it took so long and about uh, why, um, and uh, in particular, uh, Hockey Canada's uh, response to that initially, if you remember. Um, So we'll be watching that again uh, very closely. And really uh, interesting to hear the chief offer for that apology to the victim for the length of time it has taken to get to this point. Really um, quite remarkable, actually. It is. And again, it's nice to hear that, especially, um, you know, when you hear the word victim, it's kind of hard to to even chat about it because you're you're wondering these people are innocent until proven guilty but at the same time you've got to use the word victim too so it's a delicate dance of words isn't it though yeah Uh, and especially when you're trying to um uphold that uh, very um distinct um you know, tenant of the law, which is innocent until proven guilty. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's tough. a it's a tough one. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, so many people are talking about this, and it's garnered so much attention. And for all, you know, it it rightfully is garnering uh, a lot of attention. A lot of questions need to be asked, but there's a process now that has to be followed. So, uh, yeah, very interesting indeed. Uh, so we'll be watching that again very closely. Well, um, speaking of uh, things that uh, raise questions, uh, some serious questions have been raised about the new owner of the Stephenville Airport and his plans for the facility. Well, my colleague, uh, VOCM Cyrus Strickland, had an opportunity to chat with Carl Diamond, uh, the man behind those plans plans and uh, we'll tell you more about that when we come back right after this this is news talk on vocm start your day off right get the latest updates on news traffic and weather conditions plus interviews with today's newsmakers your go-to source before you get on the go 5 30 to 9 a.m weekdays your vocm mornings and we are back well um as you know there have been a lot of questions that have been raised about um the deal to transfer the Stephenville Airport to the ownership of the Diamond Group of Companies and who exactly the Diamond Group of Companies and Carl Diamond happen to be. Um, Those questions have really ramped up in recent days and in fact there's been uh, plenty of conversation on VOCM Open Line in the last week or so about that very notion. Well VOCM's Sarah Strickland spoke with Carl Diamond, the man behind Diamond Group of Companies, earlier today. So uh, the development of a comprehensive infrastructure revitalization plan for the Stephenville Airport, uh, what timeline are we looking at here in terms of development of that plan? We're a little bit afraid to give timelines these days because there's been so many delays with um, everything going on there. Like when we got this airport, there was a lot of stuff that we didn't know about, like bankruptcies and stuff. So we're hesitant to put timelines on stuff now, but within this year we're looking to reestablish air service uh, commercial air service for everyone um, we're hoping that's going to be by the summer but you know we also don't want to put a timeline on that and 
we've been talking to a couple of airlines um, that are ready to come in. We're just not announcing until we have a deal in place, if you know what I mean. Like, it's just safer that way so that people are not sort of getting spun up over it. And uh, we just want to make sure that we have a a very solid plan before announcing anything specific. But there has been some work going on at the airport over the past few months. Can you uh, tell us, you know, what's been happening there since you've took over as the CEO there? Absolutely. So we did a comprehensive survey and evaluation of the property. uh, And then we were finishing off the lighting project that was started under the previous ownership, the Stephenville Airport Corporation. Um, So now that lighting project is almost finished. Uh, We're waiting for some parts to come in to sort of sync up the apron and runway lights and taxiway lights all under one system. Uh, Now we're getting the the PAPI lights, the precision approach uh, lights. We're getting those ones. Uh, fixed now on the end and upgraded to a new a new set of lights on the end of the runway. Uh, we have our um, we work closely with uh, Sprung to get some aircraft hangers on the airport. So they're currently being designed and and sourced. They have enough inventory now. We're just looking for the right size for the airlines that we're looking to bring in. So we're hoping to start those now in April to have those uh, erected. They're not going to take very long to put up either. They're you know, uh, 18 to 20 weeks to have those fully installed. Then we'll be able to overnight aircraft uh, as part of the program uh, this summer that we're hoping to bring in the airlines for. We want them to be kept out of the elements if they have to overnight aircraft at the airport. And then the terminal will be another phase. Uh, We have a design for that now. We're just going back and forth over what those nuances are. Our goal was to create the hangar uh, in a universal design, which means anyone of any ability, uh, meaning wheelchairs, walkers, uh, sensory um, disorders, you know, vision or vision deficiencies, all that kind of stuff, can use this airport to the to the max of their potential, kind of thing, right? So, we want to be the first building in Newfoundland that's designed uh, using universal design, and we're going to be the first airport in the world using universal design. So what's the vision for this airport when all is said and done, the work is complete? What do you envision that it will look like and what will be offered? I want to see this as one of the biggest airports in Atlantic Canada. Uh, being private, we have a lot more options regarding finance to us. Uh, I'd love to see 25 to 30 flights an hour leaving this airport. I want this to be a place where people... Uh, come in to see the airport and see all the amenities around, uh, gateway to Grossmorn. We want to have golf courses. We want to have shopping districts. We want to have everything in here to really uh, make Stephenville a place where Newfoundland Labradorians move home um, and raise their families. They stay here. They live here. They eat here. They play here. Uh, I like all the above. And then to attract more people in to this region. It's such a beautiful spot on the West Coast. It's um, It's been underserved for a long time. So we're hoping to turn this into what we would call like an aerotropolis. So you're more looking at, you know, improving the entire town of Stephenville. Do you have any ties to Stephenville? Why are you drawn to this area? Honestly, I just, uh, I don't have any ties to Stephenville at all, actually. Um, I saw it on the Smithsonian Channel years ago and thought it was just, it looked majestic on the TV. And there's such... um, a big space there and the airport itself it's you know a 23 degree grade uh the runways go down 18 feet in the ground like it is such an incredible piece of infrastructure that it it's sad that it was 
left to rot the way it was. And, uh, you know, I just, I love the West Coast. I'm from the East Coast. I'm from St. John's, and I, I love it there, obviously. But, uh, you know, this just really appealed, and it was uh, something that, that just came to us. Uh, we were looking to build our drone somewhere. We didn't know. We went to the bank looking for, you know, a loan several years ago and said, if you own an airport, that'd be the easiest thing for you. Then you can build where you own it. So when this opportunity came up, I had no intention of buying it when I first started. I was looking to lease some land on there, and then they offered to sell it. And so from there, we're like, maybe that's what we'll do. Um, and then, you know, being in the community there, how I was treated in the community there, like it's like I'm treated like gold every time I walk in there. People are so nice. And, you know, to be able to go in there and shake hands and see the support from people that were able to bring husbands and wives home to work, uh, were able to raise kids there. Like my family's moved back to Newfoundland as soon as we can because I want my kids to have the same childhood I had growing up. So the people that work in Alberta now, um, you know, they come home to see their kids, come and see their grandkids. That's what we really want. And we don't want people to leave the West Coast. We want the population of Newfoundland to increase. And we think this might be a way to do it between our project in Royal Energy. That's a lot of employment and a lot of people who, once they get there and see what's there, want them to stay. So that's some of what uh, Carl Diamond of the Diamond Group of Companies had to say to VOCM Sarah Strickland. And we'll have more of that interview with Carl Diamond. And she put some questions to him that have been raised in recent days about, uh, you know, his plans for the airport. Um, we'll hear more of that in uh, uh, your VOCM mornings tomorrow morning on VOCM. Stay tuned for that. Well, the king has cancer. Yes. So, uh, as we all know, uh, King Charles only took over on the throne uh, after the death of his mother at the age of, my goodness, what was she, 95, 96? Anyway, he well up into his 70s at the time. And uh, it was recently announced at the same time, actually, that they announced that uh, Catherine... Saturday, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Kate. Kate. <laughs> um, that uh, she had gone into hospital for a, a, a serious uh, operation, which would require a lengthy recovery. Um, we found out that he was being treated for a prostate issue. Now we're hearing uh, that uh, the king has cancer. The palace says the 75-year-old has been has begun outpatient treatment. Um, following, uh, he received last month treatment for a benign prostate condition and that tests show it is a form of cancer. So that was a separate issue of concern that was noted during that treatment. They're not revealing anything else about the type of cancer other than it is unrelated to his prostate. Charles has already started a schedule of regular treatments and on his doctor's advice is postponing his public duty. So uh, 75 years old and now now um, diagnosed with cancer, the type of cancer he has, uh, unreported at this time. Yeah, it'll be interesting to know if that will be revealed or not. I was just looking at some comments from the palace, and they say that he has chosen their words to share his diagnosis to prevent speculation and in hopes it may assist public understanding for all those around the world who are affected by cancer. That's their... well. 
Yeah, right. And this is know. huge implications, especially if they reveal what kind, you know? Absolutely. And it's such a such a scourge, isn't it? I mean, there's so many people who have uh, faced that kind of diagnosis or have someone in their lives who faced that kind of diagnosis. It's uh, it's really quite overwhelming. Um, but uh, I mean, um, the, the king had received a lot of kudos as well for coming forward with his uh, uh, prostate issues and yeah. the fact that he was getting those treated. And apparently that resulted in you you and I spoke about this, a huge uptick in, in the number getting. of people who came forward to say, hey, I need to get this checked out. So it would be great if he's going to be using this for the good, you know, to help millions of people, really, once that, you know, if the type is re revealed. And, and who knows, maybe that eventually will be on a platform of his. Yesterday was World Cancer Day. You find it all real, you know, just all tying in, just... I, I can't believe it, really. Well, and, um, you know, you are your best advocate. You know or you should know when something is not right, when something's not going uh, as it should. Uh, don't ignore it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Try and uh, get to see a doctor. If you have a family doctor, that's a whole other issue, isn't it? Uh, but, uh, you know, there are ways and means to... Uh, be seen uh, when you need to be seen um, so don't put it off don't don't yeah, delay. awareness is key and and this might just be the catalyst for other people who are hearing this to get checked and uh, hopefully you know in time because that that's the key in terms of cancer absolutely well uh when we come back after the break uh, nova scotia getting walloped with this storm uh we'll get a little bit of an update on um uh, the impacts here when we come back right after this this is news talk on vocm Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, uh, Nova Scotia's emergency management minister is asking Ottawa to send heavy equipment to help dig the province out from an extreme snowfall. And we've all been there. We certainly have. We've seen uh, similar kinds of actions here. Parts of Cape Breton have declared uh, local states of emergency after getting pounded with more than a meter of snow since Friday. John Lohr's letter also asked for portable fuel storage equipment and air transport assistance to deliver critical supplies. I wonder if the province is sending any equipment over to help our friends in Cape Breton. Well, Cape Breton Regional Municipality Mayor Amanda McDougall says a sense of panic is setting in among those feeling stranded and isolated. We were, what was it, uh, Claudette? Was it eight days? We were in a oh, state of emergency here in the metro region? It was a blur. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it was a week, a full week. Uh, um, eight days sticks out in my mind. I'd have to check it out now. I remember um, the rollouts too and just, you know, certain family members being cold when their power would go and then just making sure everyone had the blankets and oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, basically the roads were uh, closed to all traffic mm -hmm. and uh, getting out of this building was a bit of a <laughs> joy. Sure. Yeah, a chore. <laughs> Thank God for Carla Green. I say that every day of my life. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, and no truer words have ever been spoken, by the way. She is a force of nature. Uh, well, um, 
we know what the situation is there and it, it caused cancellations to the marine atlantic uh, ferry service earlier today uh, still trying to uh, get a sense of what's going on uh, with marine atlantic for tonight and i'll try and find that for you now momentarily but marine atlantic expects it will be later today before the terminal building in north sydney is cleared of snow and reopened to traffic spokesperson daryl mercer provided this update for travelers earlier today well, Daryl, uh, Nova Scotia got its own version of Snowmageddon, still getting it from what I hear. How is that affecting Marine Atlantic operations? Uh, it's been challenging a few days. Uh, Saturday night is when we started to see those winds increase. Obviously, the snow has been ongoing for a while, but the winds increased on Saturday night. All day yesterday, and again now this morning, we've canceled crossing. So we've been a few days out of uh, out of operation, but there's no big traffic buildup in North Sydney simply because people are having trouble getting through to the terminal. So uh, unfortunately, this morning uh, we've got our terminal closed. Uh, there's a lot of snow down in in North Sydney, and we just uh, are trying to keep the terminal property clear. Uh, so that's a challenge in itself. And in, in addition to that, there's a state of emergency in Cape Breton which means that we're having trouble getting uh, some of our employees into the terminal because uh, roads aren't plowed and people are having some difficulty getting around. So uh, we're working through those issues. We're hoping that we'll be in a position to uh, reopen the terminal later today. Uh, we've already uh, contacted customers to advise them uh, out of North Sydney tonight, or out of Port of Bass, sorry, out of Port of Bass this evening. We're hoping that we'll be able to depart on time. But uh, we haven't communicated uh, a departure time out of North Sydney simply because the conditions that we're experiencing right now are unpredictable. So we're going to keep in contact with our customers throughout the day with a further update. So how much snow is down in that area? Well, depending on where you are, uh, there's different uh, places that have uh, anywhere between 70 and 100 centimeters of snow in a short period of time, and it's still snowing, so we're not sure what the uh, final totals are going to be, but it is very reminiscent of, uh, of Snowmageddon a few years ago here uh, in, in Newfoundland, and uh, obviously it's, uh, it's going to take a few days to recover from this. Uh, our hope is that uh, the snow will let up and we'll be in the recovery aspect and uh, get our service in operation as quickly as we can. In Port of Basque, obviously, we're, we're loading for a, an on-time departure this evening. Uh, but the challenge is uh, trying to get all of the snow mo- removed from the uh, the parking areas in North Sydney so that we can welcome uh, traffic back uh, back onto the terminal property. So no backup, as you said, because uh, the, the traffic simply can't get there. But do you anticipate that it's going to be busy over the coming days? We we figure that the, a lot of the commercial traffic, especially, they're going to uh, they, they they've obviously stayed where they were, uh, knowing that the snow was coming. So they haven't uh, made it to our terminal property. And with the road conditions that are in uh, in Cape Breton right now, uh, it was probably the safest decision to uh, to take. So as the roads are cleared and over the next couple of days, we'll start to see that traffic traffic move into uh, our terminal property and and get them moving to their destination. But but obviously, with a state of emergency that's currently in place in Cape Breton, um, you know, traffic is, is they're advising people not to be on the road. So uh, it's, it's going to take a bit of recovery time. We're just hopeful that it will happen fairly quickly. And what are things like on this side of the Gulf? Uh, of course, we, we, we just still have some of that system that's affecting southwestern Newfoundland, uh, not in the same extent as what uh, we've seen in Cape Breton. 
But, you know, Port of Bass has seen some snow. They've seen some winds, uh, but we're expecting that's going to uh, move on later today. Uh, at a Port of Bass, there, there may be a little bit of a delay this evening uh, simply because the sea states will, uh, will have to settle a little bit for passenger comfort. But our captains are confident they'll be able to leave Port of Bass tonight. And uh, once they get into North Sydney tomorrow, then those passengers will hopefully be able to move along the, uh, the highways because we're expecting the snow to stop in Cape Breton later today, and that'll give the crews uh, from the Nova Scotia Department of Highways time to clear uh, the Trans-Canada Highway and, and other roads. So it's a process, and it's going to take some time, but uh, we're hopeful that we'll see some improvements in the next uh, several hours. Daryl Mercer, appreciate your time. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Linda. So that was Daryl Mercer earlier today. They were optimistic that they might get the crossings in tonight. Those have been cancelled. And, of course, there isn't a tremendous amount of snow down on the North Sydney side of things. And uh, the sea state's still a little bit rough out there. So the uh, Marine Atlantic Ferry Crossing scheduled for tonight have now been cancelled. So you might have to make some alternate plans if you're heading that way. Well, as you know, a constant complaint in the capital city for years uh, has been about sidewalk snow clearing and how the city has, has always been sort of way behind other major municipalities when it came to keeping pedestrians safe and out of the traffic. Well, I don't know about you, but after the storm last week, I couldn't help but notice that the number of sidewalk snow plows going around and uh, the number of sidewalks that were, in fact, clear. Well, St. John's City Councillor Jamie Korab joins me now. Well, hello, Jamie. Hello, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no trouble. So I couldn't help but notice after that last dumping of snow, and we're going to get some more now over the next, what, uh, 48, 72 hours, according to the forecasters. But I couldn't help but notice that uh, there seemed to be quite a bit of action in clearing the sidewalks and um, uh, quite a few sidewalks in the areas that I was traveling appeared to be cleared. So um, what kind of an effort is the city of St. John's putting into sidewalk clearing? No, it's a great question. It's something that people have been asking for and calling for and demanding, actually, over the last number of years. And, you know, council hear those calls. So, you know, up until last year, we did about 171 kilometers. Now we do 175 kilometers of sidewalks in the city. So just, you know, in the last three years, 2001, we approved uh, $510,000. And that was a higher additional staff for a third overnight shift prior to that. We only had two shifts in a day, no overnight shift. So that added a full third shift overnight. So essentially, basically 24-hour sidewalk clearing. That was a big one. Then the next year, in 2022, there was a little over 300,000 approved. Uh, That was to clear the pedestrian-activated signals at crosswalks. So this was something before that a different department did, and it took a long time to get to. And that was something we heard that people kind of reached those activated signals. And as well in that year, there was another 364,000 approved to hire additional staff. And essentially, that money was used to expand the network uh, and enhance the service level. Uh, prior, you know, prior to 2001, uh, it took anywhere from five to seven days to clear the sidewalks. Now it takes five days or less. So you can get to that a little bit after. And in 2023, um, there was 1.7 approved for additional equipment. Uh, the equipment we have is aging, constantly breaking down. When a piece of equipment breaks down, obviously the staff can't operate, so there was no equipment purchased. Uh, and this, you know, this is part of the asset management plan, and you know, ultimately improve the uh, equipment reliability. And in two, uh, 2024, there was another 680,000 approved for additional staff and equipment. So, you know, we we tightened up our staff, we got new equipment. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people will see, uh, have seen, I should say, a greater improvement in the sidewalk snow clearing in the last uh, year. 
How many pieces of equipment have you got now, and uh, and how many staff are dedicated to sidewalk clearing? I can get that for you. Um, the full complement I don't have right off me, but I can certainly uh, shoot that over to you. But like I said, it, it's 24 hours now, and uh, with that, that extra staff makes a huge difference. Uh, obviously, you know, with um, you know equipment breaking down and people, you know, sick leave, things like that, uh, it certainly helped us uh, get those sidewalks done a lot quicker. I know uh, road clearing, snow clearing is uh, prioritized in certain ways. How do you prioritize sidewalks? Who gets done first? Uh, where are the high traffic areas? Those kinds of things. Yeah, it's a lot on the high traffic area. So in that 175 kilometers, we prioritize uh, snow clearing and ice control predominantly along collectors and arterials. So streets where pedestrian and vehicular traffic is higher, and as well as school zones um, get assigned the highest priority. So uh, we, we clear, I think that we call it 1A priority. So in front of the schools of 300 meters each way, um, or 300 meters total is done in front of each school. That's approximately three, uh, I think there's 36, 36 schools in uh, in the St. John's area, so a lot to get to. And then after that, um, you know, that, that's when they get down to the other major streets, you know, like your Kemet Roads, um, you know, Canada Drive, um, a lot, you know, just in my ward, and then, you know, Newfoundland Drive, streets like that is one that we will get to first. Bus routes? Yep, so bus routes, yeah, bus, uh, not all bus routes, naturally, but again, you know, a lot of our bus routes are on our busier roads, naturally, because we want to hit the most amount of residents we can hit. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of them along the bus routes, yes. So we'll see fewer people, I guess, waiting for the bus clinging perilously to snowbanks. Yeah, so the Metro bus, they actually have their own crews uh, that clear at the bus shelter. So, you know, if anyone does have concerns Metro bus related, um, you can, re- you know, basically reach out to Metro bus directly. That's uh, 570-2020. Uh, but the sidebox to get to the Metro bus stops us on the busier roads, they are, they are cleared. And if people are interested in what we do clear, um, it's on our website. If you, you, know, if you Google snow clearing St. John's uh, under ice control, you will see a, a map and it'll give you full detail of where everyone's done. And, you know, Linda, one of the questions I get a lot is, I had one yesterday, uh, why can't you clear my street? It's close to the depot. It's on the way to a street you do. Well, you know, street plows travel 30, 40, 50 kilometers an hour, depending on the street. Our sidewalk snow plows travel between two and five kilometers. Uh, so it takes naturally a lot more uh, equipment and resources to get, you know, uh, comparable to the, the street plow. So, you know, if, if we did start doing that, it's, you know, we, we need to prioritize it. We can't just cherry pick a street here and there. And, and council shouldn't be the ones dictating what street gets done or not. It should be something that's directed by staff because it, it shouldn't be political decisions. It should be based on priority and need. Uh, and, you know, so we, we can't just kind of cherry pick streets here and there. It's got to be something that makes sense. But with that said, we're always looking to improve, as I've listed the, you know, over $2 million invested in the last three years. We're constantly looking to improve on it because, again, presidents are asking for it. And, yeah, you just said that, that you know, this is something that is in response to um, to the public. So are, are there any areas of improvement? Are you learning as you're going? Yeah, some of the things we did, like every every year council will get together with staff. Uh, it's usually around early summer uh, or some kind of spring, summer, which I, I personally hate talking about snow clearing when snow's gone. I, I'd like to be done with it for six months. But we do get together and review, and we look at area staff will look at areas where, okay, maybe we could do this section here. This section didn't make sense. Uh, we look at residents that call uh, council directly or call 311 to review whether it makes sense. Uh, and just, you know, overall making sure it's running efficiently. Uh, and every year there's usually a few tweaks. Um, you know, maybe there's a, 
a street we could connect together uh, for connectivity. Uh, because again, we, we don't want people walking in the streets. We want St. John's to be as safe as possible for vehicles and pedestrians. So yeah, constantly reviewing is, is something we're always looking at doing for sure. Jamie Koreb, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And all this is on our city website. Any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly as well. And that is uh, St. John City Councillor Jamie Koreb uh, remarking or uh, responding, I guess, to questions we were asking about uh, sidewalk clearing. If you have any thoughts on sidewalk clearing in your area, by all means, you are welcome to give us a call. Well, when we come back after the break, the provincial government implementing two new strategies to increase the success of provincial businesses in getting government contracts. We'll tell you what that's all about when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, just days after announcing an exclusive deal with Loblaw, Manulife Financial backtracking and says patients who require specialty drugs will be able to fill their prescriptions at any pharmacy. The insurance giant told patients about 260 medications would transition to being carried out uh, primarily through Shoppers Drug Mart and other Loblaw-owned pharmacies. Its CEO says the company is proud to partner with thousands of pharmacies and contribute to a long and healthy Canadian healthcare system uh, by saying it has been uh, listening to the concerns raised. And of course, some of those concerns came out of this province because there were some very serious concerns about how people would be able to access their prescriptions uh, if they don't have access to a Loblaw-affiliated pharmacy. Now, many communities do, other communities do not, and one of them being Lab, the Lab West region, the nearest uh, Loblaw-owned pharmacy would be, I'm guessing, Happy Valley Goose Bay. Anyway, that's hundreds of miles down the road and uh, that had to leave quite a few people in the Lab West area feeling very um, uncomfortable with uh, you know what they would have to face if they happened to be insured through Manulife and many more areas of rural uh, Newfoundland and Labrador and other parts of the country as well I'm sure are feeling very uh, similar about it so uh, uh, sorry, Manulife Financial now backtracking and says patients who require specialty drugs will be able to fill their prescriptions at any pharmacy. Well, the provincial government is implementing two new strategies to increase the success of provincial businesses in getting government contracts. The minister responsible for the public procurement agency, John Abbott, announced the Newfoundland and Labrador first procurement strategy and sustainable procurement strategy. Not easy to say. Earlier today, here's Minister John Abbott and President of Triware Technologies, Wally O'Neill. I'm pleased today to announce the implementation of the Newfoundland and Labrador first procurement strategy, first being focused on Newfoundland and Labrador. The strategy has two primary objectives. Maximize the success of provincial suppliers in obtaining government contracts and support strategic provincial supplier development. Now, the first objective is primarily aimed at established suppliers who may already be bidding on procurement opportunities. This new strategy will help create an environment that provides the best opportunity for provincial suppliers to be successful in obtaining contracts through the provincial preference discount. It will increase open call thresholds, it will promote the use of exemptions under trade agreements, and reduce the use of bid bonds. The actions under the second objective 
are primarily to help new suppliers. The aim is to strengthen their ability to participate in government procurement processes in the first place, providing them with the knowledge and training they need with such things as supplier-focused information sessions, reverse trade shows, and prior consultation on more significant procurements. Now, in addition to the Newfoundland First strategy, today I'm also announcing a new procurement, excuse me, a new sustainable procurement strategy for the province, and these will go hand in hand. The sustainable procurement strategy will be focused on embedding sustainability considerations into the various processes for procuring goods, services, and construction by Newfoundland public agencies alongside traditional considerations such as price, quality, service, and technical considerations. Every purchase made by government has some form of social, economic, and or environmental impact. So this strategy will use that existing purchasing power to help achieve broader social, environmental, and or economic goals in the province. Criteria will be incorporated in our procurement activities that suppliers will be required to meet in order to be successful. Examples could include impa the impact on the environment, impact on local jobs, impact on the social good, and life uh, cycle costing. For example, right now we already have a green procurement guide that suppliers can avail of to be compliant. In short, sustainability is an important consideration in all our actions, including procurement opportunities. The initiatives I'm announcing today demonstrate that our government remains focused on modernizing purchasing practices and processes, utilizing best practices where we can, and achieving best value for the dollar spent, and doing all of this in a sustainable fashion. We also remain focused on ensuring that Newfoundland and Labrador companies are given the greatest opportunity to secure contracts here at home. The strategy announced here this morning will go far in helping us achieve these goals. Now I'm going to ask uh, Wally if he wants to say a few words on how our strategies to date and will in the future support businesses like Triware Technologies. Wally. I'm very pleased to be here today representing Triware Technologies and really all of the local suppliers in the province. We've been working with local clients from both the public and private sectors to provide IT goods and services and really help solve business issues through technology for over 33 years. We focus all our business efforts within Newfoundland and Labrador and support hundreds of clients across the province from our offices in St. John's with the help of our regional business partners. Being an active part of the local IT and business communities, local procurement and the value of local business here in the province resonates profoundly with us. And without a doubt, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador plays a huge role in the success of local suppliers such as Triware Technologies. We see the two strategies announced today as key building blocks to a stronger relationship between both new and established local suppliers and our provincial government. The NL First strategy will help local suppliers grow and succeed within our province. The sustainable procurement strategy will foster a mindset in suppliers working with government to encourage sustainable thinking within their own businesses. 
As companies like Triber Technologies succeed locally, we are able to provide even more value to the clients we serve, the terrific people we employ, and the overall social and economic growth of the province. So that is uh, uh, public procure, uh, Minister Responsible for the Public Procurement Agency, John Abbott, and uh, President of Triware Technologies, Wally O'Neill, earlier today. And just to circle around to the beginning of our show, um, we the, the London Police Service provided an update today on the investigation into the uh, sexual assault case involving uh, five members of the 2018 um Hockey Canada uh, World Junior team hockey team. Well, the police officer in charge of the sexual assault case against five former members of Canada's World Junior hockey team say concurrent investigations did add complexity to her probe. Detective Sergeant Catherine Dan declined to go into detail about why the NHL and Hockey Canada investigations made the police investigation harder. Meanwhile, the chief of police in London, Ontario, says the officers who initially looked into the complaint in 2018 are no longer on the investigative team. The case was dropped in 2019, when police found there were insufficient grounds to lay charges, the probe was picked back up in 2022, and police charged Dylan Dubé, Cal Foote, Alex uh, Fermentin, Carter Hart, and Michael McLeod late last month. Uh, those uh, five people appeared in court for their first appearance this morning. Uh, so we'll be watching that as that uh, particular story continues to unfold. Well, that's it for us for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening, everyone, and bye-bye for now.